Well, hello everybody and welcome again. I am Peter Goldstein, founder and chief synergy officer for We Did It That Health. And I am so excited. We are on our fourth session, fourth presentation in of May. And May we have designated as our health month. So we have had some beautiful presentations and today is no exception. I am very excited to have with me Dr. Layla Dagan. Dagan. And uh, she is joining us from uh, from Europe and she's her passion is about sports medicine. So uh, please watch this, share, share it, spread the word on it. Please, if you haven't already, subscribe to our YouTube channel and then join our community. We're starting a soft launch at We Did It That Health community uh, and register, create an account and become a part of our Thrive and Inspire community. So let me tell you a little bit about our very special presenter today. And she asks the question, are you looking for the edge in your athletic athletic performance? Well, plants are the answer. Dr. Leila Dagan is a doctor turned nutritionist and personal trainer. Her debilitating migraines completed, compelled her to quit her medical career, oh my goodness, from, from being a doctor to being a, a trainer and, and a sports medicine expert and nutritionist. That's awesome. Adopting a vegan lifestyle, eventually healing her migraines, which is amazing, by following a whole food plant-based diet. Now, as an educator, she enjoys spreading awareness about the benefits of plant-based diet for athletes and other health conscious individuals. Please join us as she reveals the unique advantages of a plant-based diet for athletes, explains the nutrient requirements of plant-based athletes, how to address common concerns and misconceptions about plant-based diets for athletes. And boy, there sure are many. Uh, so Layla, holds a plant-based nutritional certifications from E. Cornell, affili affiliated with Cornell University, and a master's of science degree in clinical and public nutrition for the, from the University College of London. As an amateur and martial artist, she takes a keen interest in sports nutrition and has previously contributed to a clinical handbook by authoring the chapter, Plan-Based Nutrition for Athletes. Wow, that's awesome, congratulations. And have also developed a lecture for the public for the short course of plan-based nutrition oh, at the University of Winchester. That is amazing. So with that, I would like to welcome Layla, help me welcome Layla. Hi, so, Hi, so good to have you. Thank you. Thank you for the lovely introduction and thank you for having me. Well, we appreciate you. And with that, let's uh, let's bring up your presentation here and uh, and uh, please, please tell us all about it. And everybody welcome and please share your questions and comments. And and Layla will be happy to answer them at, at the end of the presentation. So with that, please, please share yeah. your wisdom. 
Thank you. Let me get started. Yes, can you see that? Is that okay? Good. All right. Uh, I'm really happy and excited to be here to talk about a topic that is really uh, kind of uh, close to my heart. You know, plant-based diets, uh, they are gaining in popularity. And uh, especially athletes and fitness enthusiasts, they, they are they're feeling inspired to explore these lifestyles, especially after the documentary, The Game Changers. However, a question that uh, people keep asking, and one question that I hope to address today in this webinar is, can we truly power our training and achieve peak performance on a plant-based diet? And if so, how can we actually do that effectively? But before we start, I'd like to provide you with some background on myself and my expertise in this area. And um, Peter has already mentioned a bit, but I want to tell you a little bit more so that you better understand where I am coming from and feel confident in the information that I will be sharing with you. So yes, I'm a qualified doctor and I was actually training to become a pediatrician, but as Peter mentioned, I had really bad migraines, like kind of, you know, chronic migraine, which is like spending 10 days in bed. So that's why I had to create, you know, medicine. As an athlete who practices Kung Fu, I transitioned into fitness industry. And luckily, I mean, I was really lucky because then I discovered a whole food plant-based diet. And by changing my diet, I healed my chronic disease. And that experience was really mind-blowing. And I, it really led me to pursue a master's degree in clinical and public health nutrition. And, uh, you know, nutrition is not a, it's actually a new science. And there's a lot of misinformation. And as a nutritionist, I have chosen to register with uh, the Association for Nutrition. And that helps me actually to meet the high standards of competence that they require. And my passion, my main passion is actually sports nutrition. I only work with athletes. And I have created a module for a course at the University of Winchester. I have written a chapter on that topic for a clinical handbook. And I regularly deliver talks and interviews and webinars on, on the topic and the subject. So today, uh, I will be discussing the unique advantages that actually plant-based diet offers to athletes. And then I will explore the nutrients that plant-based athletes require. And hopefully I address some of the common concerns and misconceptions uh, um, you know, about plant-based diet for athletes. And in the end, I will show you some new uh, ideas, you know, to show you how easy it is actually to eat a plant-based diet and get the nutrients that athletes require. Now, when we think of uh, you know, being physically strong, we, all, uh, we think of bodybuilders. And sometimes it is really hard for us to believe that men or women as strong as them, you know, they would just eat veggie burgers and tofu. But in fact, we know that some of the strongest and fastest people on earth, they have done that for centuries and they are still doing it. So we know, for example, from historical records that the diet of the Roman gladiators or, uh, and Greek athletes were actually made up of you know, mainly grains, legumes, and plenty of fruits and vegetables. Meat was only consumed on special occasions. So for example, during religious activities, and that wasn't very often at all. And recently we have a lot of athletes who you know, consume a 100% plant-based diet, and we see their names in the headlines because they are just doing amazing stuff. One of them, one of, uh, them is, uh, who's one of my favorites is Patrick Baboumian. He is Germany's strongest man and bodybuilder. 
and he has been vegan since uh, 2011. Then there is Fiona Ox. She's a British distance runner. And what is amazing about Fiona is that when she was a teenager, I mean, she actually went uh, vegan when she was six years old. So she has been eating a plant-based diet, you know, since she was, you know, a child actually. And then when she was a teenager, she lost a kneecap. And the doctors were like, kind of, you know, you have to be careful with uh, running and uh, with exercise. But she's not only running marathons, she's actually breaking records. And all of that thanks to a whole food plant-based diet. So I really think that these athletes demonstrate that a plant-based diet is adequate and may actually even be superior to a meat-based diet. And that is something that, uh, you know, the British, um, uh, um, the British Dietetic Association and the American Dietetic, uh, Dietetic Association agree with. Both of them say a well-planned vegan diet can support healthy living in people of all ages. You know, appropriately planned uh, vegan diet is appropriate for everybody, including athletes. Now, when it comes to sports performance, uh, you know, uh, the overall well-being of an athlete is important because uh, the daily demands that athletes actually make on their bodies and the stress they put their bodies through, you know, during practice and games and events, it can be quite huge. So the healthier they are, the better they can actually deal with those demands. So when it comes to plant-based diet, uh, actually the benefits are twofold. Firstly, a plant-based diet, you know, has beneficial effects on their general health and well-being. Secondly, a plant-based diet offers advantages specific to fitness. So I'm gonna uh, take a look at those health benefits next. So a plant-based diet just improves your overall health. We have had a lot of uh, studies which consistently show that a plant-based diet is beneficial in the prevention of chronic diseases. You know, eating a diet which is rich in fruits and vegetables, grains and legumes, it reduces your risk of heart disease, obesity, type 2 diabetes, cancer, dementia. And a plant-based diet is also associated actually with a reduced risk for many chronic degenerative diseases and increased longevity. And in addition, a plant-based diet, which is rich in nutrients, antioxidants, and anti-inflammatory compounds, supports the immune system. And this way, the risk of illness and infections is reduced. And of course, this helps athletes you know, maintain consistent training and performance level. So what are the sport-specific benefits of plant-based diet? I'm going to just briefly touch on them because I don't want to spend too much here. I want to speak more uh, about the nutrients that you know, athletes require. So in brief, a plant-based diet reduces body fat. And that actually is good for speed, agility. It improves muscular and cardiorespiratory uh, endurance and performance. And you know, a plant-based diet is high in carbohydrates. And when we think of carbohydrates, we need to understand that carbohydrates are actually fuel for our brain and working muscles. So if a diet is high in carbohydrates, it helps actually uh, the body to maintain its glycogen stores. Glycogens are the stored carbohydrates. And so if you can you know, um, maintain the glycogen stores, you can train longer and before you, know, you feel tired, before fatigue sets in. In addition, a plant-based diet increases blood flow. And a better blood flow means that you know, more vital nutrients, including you know, glucose, 
can actually be delivered to your working muscles. And I already mentioned that plant-based diets are rich in antioxidants and anti-inflammatory compounds. And this is important because exercise is an inflammatory event, meaning it actually causes a temporary increase in inflammation markers, which is a natural response. It's actually how our body adapts to physical activity. It stimulates repair and recovery process, so it is natural and necessary. But having said that, a diet rich in antioxidants and anti-inflammatory you know, compounds helps actually manage this inflammation and supports the post-exercise recovery. And that's why you hear a lot of athletes who go plant-based say that you know, they recover quite uh, you know, faster than you know, after exercise, after training than the other athletes. So that's one of the actually main um, benefits. So what nutrients should vegan athletes be mindful of? Well, vegan athletes should pay attention to the same nutrients that are you know, commonly considered of concern for vegans. That includes protein, omega-3, B12, vitamin D, iron, calcium, iodine, and zinc. And it is really worth mentioning here that some of these nutrients that I just mentioned, they are not only a concern for vegans, they are a concern for the general population, including non-vegans. And they are, you know, a concern for non-vegan athletes as well. For example, vitamin D, iodine, and zinc. So it's not just vegans that uh, who need to be mindful of these nutrients. But before actually talking about these nutrients, I want to address a common issue that um, athletes face. And again, uh, this issue it affects all athletes, not just vegan athletes. One of the key features of physical activity is the increased energy expenditure. And meeting you know, the increased energy demand should be really an athlete's first priority because we humans are energy first systems. So building muscle is not our body's first priority. Our body wants to move and needs energy for that. So that is our main priority. If you think you know, of our ancestors, they had to run so they actually having the energy to run, that was more important than actually building muscle. Now, when it comes to athletes, virtually all surveys have uh, found that athletes actually fail to consume enough uh, calories to fully satisfy um, the increased demand for it. And of course, this is more of a problem for plant-based athletes because you know, plant-based foods uh, have a low calorie density. Calorie density refers to calories per pound. So if you look at this chart here, vegetables and fruits, I mean, they are nutrient dense, but they have low energy um, density. And this is uh, actually one of the common problems that vegans face in general. Uh, so it's not just athletes, but of course, for athletes, that's even more important. So this chart for, uh, shows the calorie density of foods. And uh, if you look at it, beef has about 1,000 calories per pound. Whereas potatoes, for example, have you know, 400 calories per pound. So if uh, somebody is eating beef, they're actually getting more calories per unit weight. Whereas when they are eating plants, it means they are le getting less calories per unit weight, which is good for those of people who want to lose weight because that means they are eating larger volume, but uh, you know, consuming less calories. But for an athlete who needs you know, sometimes up to 5,000, 8,000 calories per day, this can be quite a problem. So that's why vegan athletes really need to make sure that they base their meals on you know, whole grains, complex carbohydrates, starches, quinoa, rice, beans are all good choices because they are more you know, calorie dense than fruits and vegetables. 
then again, nuts, seeds, nut butters, avocados are excellent additions. And, you know, I always recommend my athletes, clients to make a smoothie with a generous portion of nut butters, nuts, seeds, flax seeds, chia seeds, hemp seeds, you know, all of these uh, high calorie uh, plant foods. And all of these uh, are actually good options for, you know, uh, because they uh, provide protein. And that this brings me to protein, which is, you know, the most controversial macronutrient on a vegan diet, but also for athletes. And there are two reasons for that. Firstly, many believe that you cannot get enough protein on a plant-based diet. And the other reason is that um, a lot of people believe that animal proteins are, you know, of higher quality and they are superior to plant proteins. So let's have a look at the quantity. The average person needs uh, about 0.75 gram protein per kg per day, which is about 12 to 15% of the total calories uh, that we consume every day. And usually if you only you know, exercise up to eight hours per week, you won't need any additional protein. So what you get in your diet is enough. Um, although, you know, depending on your sport, on your training and your workout intensity, you may need to increase your daily calorie intake. So remember, actually consuming enough calories should be your main priority, your first priority. Now, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, the uh, American College of Sports Medicine, recommends 1.2 to 2 gram of protein per kg per day for athletes. Now, we have data from the um, EPIC Oxford study. And it, this study compares you know, the protein intake between meat eaters, pescatarians, lacto-ovo, and vegans. And it looked at 30,000 uh, subjects, so th there were 30,000 participants. And when you look at the protein intake as percentage of energy consumed, it, uh, you see that everybody is actually consuming more than the 12% in all groups, even the vegan group. And if we look at the protein intake as gram per kg body weight, Again, the recommendation is uh, 0.75 gram uh, you know, per kg. And again, all diet groups actually exceed uh, the recommendation. And this data matches uh, the findings of the Adventist Health Study, which shows that all diet groups, including vegans, are consuming above the required you know, 42 gram of protein per day. And 42 gram is you know, kind of the average for the average adult, what they need. So since the average vegan actually is getting enough protein, athletes who need to increase their calories will actually by default uh, you know, increase their protein intake. And this way they get adequate amount. So let's have a look at the quality of uh, plant protein. The quality of um, protein is defined by the distribution of um, you know, essential and non-essential amino acids by, by the proportion of essential and non-essential amino acids in, one, uh, in a food. And since humans and animals are closely related, you know, obviously we are going to have similar patterns of amino acids. And that's why you know, when we look at, um, at animal protein, animal-based protein, they have higher proportion of the essential amino acids, essential amino acids, you know, what we consider essential for humans. And that's why they are referred to as complete protein. And it is true that plant proteins uh, you know, are low in certain uh, essential amino acids, but they do contain all the essential amino acids. And I think that is a really 
the point I want to make, they do have all the essential amino acids, the proportions uh, vary. And they usually tend to have a limiting um, kind of amount of certain amino acids. And that uh, is referred to as the limiting amino acids. And that is the why the myth of protein complementing or protein combining has been created, which refers to the idea that we need to have specific combinations of plant proteins in the same meal to get all the essential amino acids. So for example, you have to eat beans and rice together to make sure that you get enough of those amino acids which are like limited in rice and beans. But um, I mean, it's not necessary to do that. Although we do, most of us, like we have beans and rice together or we have um, peanut butter with bread, uh, you know, although sometimes people have peanut butter on their own. But so, you know, we usually do that in a lot of traditional diets. When you look at it, we find these co combinations, but it is not necessary. And this is a myth, and it was actually dispelled in the 1990s. So it was 1994 that a paper come out, uh, came out and talked about it. So, but you know, 30 years later, we still find um, health professionals, even vegan dietitians and nutritionists who promote the idea of protein combining. I always like to show this chart, which shows the proportions of amino acids in some of the common foods. And as you can see, plant foods contain all the essential amino acids, but some of the uh, amino acids are kind of, you know, in lower amount available. So that's why, you know, it is really important that you um, consume different plant protein sources, but throughout the day, not in the same meal. Now, before I move on, I want to discuss this paper, which was published early in 2021. And I think this paper really answered the protein question when it comes to building muscle. Researchers at Sao Paulo University compared a vegan diet to an omnivorous diet. And they recruited 38 uh, male adults. And half of them were vegans, but they were vegan, like kind of, you know, for more than four years. So they weren't new vegans or people who changed their diet just for the duration of their study. And uh, they had similar characteristics, so similar heights, uh, uh, similar lean mass, fat mass, and strength. And they all went through the same exercise routine. And the researchers wanted to make sure that they consume the same amount of protein. So that's why the participants were actually supplemented with protein powders. Vegans got a soy protein isolate and non-vegans whey protein. And they went through a 12-week uh, supervised training program. So that was supervised and the focus was, was just on, you know, on the muscles of the lower limb. So they did just you know, leg press and leg extension. After those 12 weeks, um, you know, both groups actually improved. They improved their muscle mass, muscle size, and strength. And there wasn't any difference whatsoever between the groups. So I think this study really proved that, you know, you can gain actually muscle on a plant-based diet as long as you're consuming enough calories, you're consuming adequate amount of protein, and you're following a good strength training routine. So, and it, uh, Funny, uh, fun fact, uh, you know, I listened to an interview with the lead researcher and he said that after this research, actually, he has started to replace some of his animal protein with plant protein. So he wasn't vegan before that and he's still not vegan, but he uh, appreciates the benefits of plant proteins and that they are as good as, you know, animal based protein. Now, the next macronutrient uh, 
that needs some planning on a you know vegan diet are polyunsaturated fats. Although there are omega-6 and omega-3, omega-6 fatty acids can easily be obtained on a plant-based diet, you know, leafy green vegetables, grains, nuts, and seeds. So it's really the omega-3 fatty acids that need extra consideration when you remove fish from your diet. We take omega-3 fats in the short chain from uh, ALA, which is then converted to um, the long chain fatty acids, EPA and DHA. Vegan sources of ALA are flax seeds, chia seeds, hemp seeds, and walnuts. And, uh, you know, just a tablespoon of ground flax seed or just, you know, six or seven half walnuts are actually enough to receive to obtain your recommended daily intake. Now, the problem is some people are not good at converting the ALA to EPA and DHA. And there have been some studies showing that vegans have actually lower blood levels of omega-3 fats compared to you know, those who consume an omnivorous diet. However, a literature review uh, conducted by the Mayo Clinic in 2016 showed that the low levels of EPA and DHA actually don't have any adverse health effects. So for now, there is no convincing evidence that we need to worry about you know, the lower levels of omega-3 fats in vegans. However, I always tell people, you know, if you want to be on the safe side, just take an algae-based supplement. Uh, you know, take a supplement every day. And there are also some groups uh, who actually benefit from taking a supplement just, and again, that is not just vegans, you know, in general in population, there are certain groups that, you know, they have increased needs. Uh, for example, pregnant breastfeeding women. And there are certain groups who are not good at converting, you know, the ALA to EPA and DHA. So if they have an underlying disease. So if an athlete, for example, has diabetes or hypertension, then supplementation is a good idea. And I always make sure that um, the people I work with, I tell them, even if you're taking a supplement as an athlete, you know, I would still say, add flax seeds, chia seeds, hemp seeds, and walnuts to your diet, just because fats provide nine calories per gram. And that can help you actually to, um, yeah, increase your daily calorie intake as an athlete. So it makes it easier to reach those increased demands. Um, before moving on, I want to make one last point. A lot of uh, vegan processed food, so if somebody is eating too much processed food, which we don't actually encourage, we want to promote whole food plant-based. So, but if you, you know, and you know, once, in a, once a week is okay, but if you eat vegan processed food every day, um, especially vegan cheeses, um, you know, they, uh, they con uh, contain coconut oil. So all of these, that would actually increase your saturated fat intake. And also in, uh, that would increase your omega-6 uh, fats. And when you are consuming too much omega-6, um, that can actually affect your omega-3 absorption because they compete for the same enzymes in your body. So that is something to consider and you know, make sure that you're mindful of uh, how much processed food you really consume. So let's move on to vitamin B12. Vitamin B12 is made by the bacteria in, in the soil. So you cannot find it in plant foods. Uh, and I don't have any data about, you know, US and other countries uh, on base in the UK. So I'm going to tell you the, you know, uh, the, um, data from the UK. Actually, in the UK, 6 to 12% of adults under the age of 60 are B12 deficient. And there are certain groups that, you know, are at risk of just not getting enough vitamin B12. And yes, 
plant-based, you know, vegans are in that group, but also vegetarians, uh, because a lot of vegetarians get their B12 from fortified dairy products. So if uh, you are vegetarian, but you have already switched your milk to plant-based milk, then you may be actually not getting enough B12. And also elderly people, pregnant women, uh, you know, women, alcoholics, or people suffering from anorexia, they are actually at risk of low B12 levels. And B12 uh, you know, absorption can be actually inhibited by certain drugs, such as like kind of you know, omeprazole, lanzoprazole. So if you have any you know, gastric problems, ulcers and reflux, and you're taking these medications, ranitidine, or if you're diabetic and you're taking metformin, so they can actually you know, affect your B12 absorption. Bottom line is, every vegan needs actually to supplement with B12, and that applies to athletes as well. And there are people like myself actually, and I have met um, a couple of athletes, the vegan athletes, who try to get their B12, uh, you know, through the food they are eating, like nutritional yeast or you know, uh, fortified plant milks. And it is possible. You need to do some planning, but it is possible. But even so, because B12 is such an important vitamin, and by the time you actually develop symptoms, it is late. I always tell people. From time to time, just top up with a supplement. You know, every few weeks, just take a supplement to be on the safer side. And the recommended daily intake is 50 micrograms per day. And if you want to take it once a week, 2,000 micrograms. Next vitamin uh, is the sunshine vitamin, uh, vitamin D. And, you know, it's actually vitamin D deficiency is a problem in the UK, it's a problem in all populations. Uh, in fact, uh, it is believed that 23% of adults have low vitamin D status, and in winter months, when there isn't any sunshine, that uh, number actually increases to 40%. The EpiOxod uh, study, which I referred to earlier, uh, in 2011, they, uh, one of the studies showed that vegans had lower vitamin D status, although they weren't deficient, but it was on the lower side. So vegan athletes, you know, they need to follow the national guidelines. I don't know what the guidelines are in the US and other countries, but in the UK, the guideline is that actually from um, uh, October to March, April, so when there isn't enough sunshine, um, you should take a supplement. And I think for athletes, it is really important to mention that even if it is summer months and you are training indoors, so you're not actually spending any time outdoors, then you should take a supplement. So it's really about you know how much sun exposure are you getting rather than you know how uh, what the weather is like. And I, I I like to mention that there are some vegans who try to get their vitamin D you know from fortified foods, but that's often not enough you know to actually get their recommended intake. And some vegans expose their mushrooms to UV light, which you know yes it would increase the vitamin D level in the mushrooms, but it would be the vitamin D two which is, uh, again, it is less effective. And a lot of times it may not be enough to you know, get what your body requires. So I always encourage people to take a vitamin D3 uh, supplement and, you know, yeah, and follow the national guidelines in the UK, it's 10 microgram per um, day. Next nutrient to discuss is iron. Iron deficiency is actually one of the most common nutritional deficiencies in the world. And, uh, but it's also quite common among athletes. 
And again, it has nothing to do with the, the diet that athletes are following. So even non-vegan athletes uh, can, you know, can suffer from iron deficiency or low iron levels. We distinguish between heme and non-heme iron. Plants have uh, only non-heme, whereas uh, the iron in uh, animal products is 40% heme and the rest is non-heme. Heme iron is actually more bioavailable. It means that you know, the body absorbs it much better than non-heme iron. Uh, but so if you cut out meat from your diet, a lot of people are worried that they're not getting enough iron. But just because you, know, you absorb less iron from plant sources doesn't mean that none is absorbed. And non-heme iron is just absorbed slowly. And uh, you, know, you see a lot of healthy vegans who have low levels of ferritin. Ferritin is uh, you know, how iron is stored in your body. So, and whenever the levels are low, the body absorbs more. So it's like a self-regulating process that our body actually has. And it is beneficial because too much iron can actually cause iron toxicity. So that is, uh, you know, a good thing that your body only absorbs whatever the body requires. Now, um, there are different ways of actually, you know, checking your iron levels. Some people check ferritin levels, but ferritin levels are not reliable in athletes because they can be increased when, whenever there is an inflammation. And remember, exercise is an inflammatory event. So the ferritin levels might actually be increased in people who exercise a lot, but that doesn't mean anything. When it comes to um, how much athletes should take, in the UK, there isn't any separate you know, recommendation, so they need to take whatever the rest of the population is recommended to take, which is like uh, 8.7 uh, milligram for men and 14.8 milligram for women. In the US, however, Again, there isn't like a separate guideline, but I, uh, there are a lot of um, dietitians, sport dietitians, who recommend higher, you know, kind of uh, doses for athletes. I think it's up to 18 milligrams per day. But also bear in mind, you know, uh, as I mentioned earlier, as an athlete, you have to consume more calories. And by consuming more calories, you are also consuming more of all these nutrients, hopefully. So that's why we go back to the to the fact that the main issue is, are you consuming enough calories as an athlete? So that should be really your first priority, your main priority. So what are good vegan sources of iron? Whole grains, quinoa, wholemeal, spaghetti, wholemeal bread, fortified breakfast cereals. Actually, in the UK, one of the main sources of iron are fortified, uh, fortified cereal uh, foods because white flour uh, is required to be fortified with iron and calcium. So I know a lot of people, when they think of uh, um, iron, they think of uh, red meat, but in the UK at least, red meat only provides uh, 15 to 20% of iron intake. So it is really the fortified cereal uh, food, which are kind of, you know, accidentally vegan, you could say. Then legumes are a good source. One cup of cooked lentils has 6.6 .6 milligrams. Um, then kidney beans, tofu, peas, seeds, dark green leafy vegetables, molasses, two tablespoons of molasses has uh, 3.8 milligram of iron. So if you like molasses, that's a good uh, one to have. Now there are things you can do. There are steps you can take to increase your iron absorption. Uh, one of them is having a vitamin C uh, source with your you know, iron food. And luckily, plant foods are actually naturally high in vitamin C. So that is an easy one, you know, on a plant-based diet. Then um, 
there is evidence that onion, garlic, ginger can actually improve the availability of um, non-heme iron. So that is good to add to your food. And there are also, uh, you know, the absorption of non-heme iron can actually be reduced by phytates and tannins in our milk. So that's why actually you can reduce some of the phytates, uh, you know, in, in legumes, for example, by soaking legumes. And if you're buying canned legumes, uh, they have been re prepared using high temperatures and high temperatures all already reduce some of those phytates. And then what you can do is once you have opened your canned beans, just rinse them again. So this way you get rid of some more phytates and that would uh, improve the absorption of nothing uh, you know, higher. Tannins are found in tea and coffee, and even some herbal teas can actually have tannins. So it is always recommended not to have any tea or coffee one to two hours before and after meals. That way you can, again, improve your iron absorption. And to be honest, in my experience, that is one of the common uh, reasons why vegans can have actually low iron levels. So, you know, they for breakfast, even if they have iron in their breakfast, they usually have tea or coffee, so that reduces the absorption. So that's actually, I think, a tough one for many people I have spoken to. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about calcium. Calcium is a mineral that is found, you know, in the soil, like all the other minerals, and then it is absorbed into the roots of plants. In the UK, the recommended daily uh, uh, amount is 700 milligrams of calcium per day. Again, there are certain groups that require more, like children, breastfeeding women, and those suffering, uh, you know, from gastrointestinal issues because then the absorption would be reduced, so it affects the absorption, like you know celiac disease, irritable bowel syndrome. So all of those people, they have a higher uh, need requirement for calcium. And I think actually in the US, the RDA is higher as well. So if you live in the US, you need to check that. Now, the Epic Oxford study, uh, which has been studying you know, nutrients uh, of uh, vegans, uh, found out that the calcium intake is lower in vegans, but it is still within the recommended kind of, you know, 700 milligrams. Exercise doesn't actually increase your calcium requirement. And again, as long as athletes don't restrict their total calorie intake, they can easily obtain their daily calcium from plant foods. Like iron, there is some concern about the bioavailability of calcium from plants. When we look at the bioavailability of uh, calcium from plants, we see that actually 32 to 34% of calcium in dairy products is absorbed. And we can compare that to 31% to uh, for tofu and 20 to 28% from legumes and soy milk. And when it comes to green leafy vegetables, like you know broccoli and mm, Chinese greens and mustard greens, we actually absorb uh, 40 to 70%. So it's actually more than what you would uh, absorb you know, from uh, uh, dairy products. And vegan sources are beans, kale, broccoli, nuts, oats. And nowadays, a lot of plant-based milks uh, you know, are fortified with calcium. So they are good um, sources. And they offer usually the same amount as dairy milk. And uh, when it comes to bioavailability, there is again some concern um, about phytates that, that can, uh, can actually reduce the absorption of um, calcium. 
uh, and a lot of a question I get a lot is about you know plant milk because they are like kind of you know they are soya, almond, oat, all of that. They have phytates, uh, but they are fortified with calcium. So is the calcium absorption as good as you know as you get it from food? And the answer is yes because all those um, you know oats, almonds, or whatever nuts they have been uh, using you know in the plant milk. They have been soaked and diluted with water, so this way some phytate has been actually reduced, uh, you know, removed. So yeah, the calcium absorption is quite good. There are some greens like um, spinach and beet greens. They are high in calcium, but they are also high in oxalates, and oxalates uh, binds with calcium, and as a result, the calcium absorption is reduced. So yeah, they are not really good sources of calcium. So let's talk about. Um, Iodine. Um, again, uh, it's really iodine is important for you know thyroid function, and that's one of the reasons why vegans should actually have their thyroid function checked every year. Now, in the UK, you know there was a survey in 2018, and iodine deficiency is still a problem. Again, in the UK, I don't know about uh, US and other countries. The main uh, source of iodine is actually cow's milk, and that's not because um, you know, the, the cow actually produces either. It's just the way they kind of milk the cow and, you know, it is in, in, the, in the solution that they use to kind of clean the uh, other. So that's how iodine gets actually into the dairy products. And we see a lot of people who are not vegan necessarily, but they have reduced their uh, milk, dairy milk consumption. So they may be actually at risk of having low iodine levels. And again, this is more a concern for teenage girls and women. So uh, yeah, yeah, that they need to be careful with that. There are plant sources of iodine, like navy beans, peanuts, and seaweed, and a lot of fruits and vegetables. But the iodine levels really depends on the level of iodine in the soil, so it's not really reliable. Uh, so that's why you know you might not be getting enough iodine if you just try to get it from your diet. Uh, Yes, seaweed can be quite high in iodine, and that is how a lot of uh, vegans try to get their iodine. But um, sometimes the levels can be actually quite toxic, and that can affect the thyroid function as well. So yes, it is a fun, uh, you know an option to get your iodine that way. And if you are doing that, make sure to you know have it several times throughout the week rather than having one large you know kind of uh, uh, I don't know meal with seaweed. So it's better to have it like powdered, you know, and just add it to your salads, soups, and pastas. So, and plant milks nowadays are actually fortified with uh, iodine, so that's also a good option. Or people can just take a supplement. Now, when it comes to athletes, I actually uh, recommend iodized salt. I know we always try to tell people to reduce their salt intake, but athletes... Uh, lose a lot of sodium in their sweat when they are training. So, you know, so they need to actually have, you know, kind of add that, uh, that electrolyte, that sodium to their diet. So when they have to do that, you know, why not take iodized salt? This way you, you get your iodine. I mean, a lot of um, fitness coaches, a lot of coaches actually tell their athletes after they had a, you know, intense training session to go and have like potato chips or pretzels, which is, you know, full of salt to get their, you know, the sodium. But why not have, you know, iodized salt, uh, you know, with your 
cross strings, you know, you can add it and you can, you know, and that way you get your iodine. So much easier than calculating how much seaweed you have. So that is the one I actually usually recommend. So zinc, that's the last nutrient I'm going to um, discuss today. It is an essential mineral and it is a nutrient of concern for both athletes and vegans. Now, there have been studies analyzing zinc levels in vegans, uh, but the results are not consistent. For example, there was a 2013 meta-analysis, uh, which found that vegans had slightly lower zinc levels than meat eaters. Uh, and it, that, the reason is, again, because uh, plant foods do actually provide zinc, but not large amounts. And also, as I said, you know, the same with iron, the, uh, the, um, the amount actually depends on the level in the soil. So that is not really reliable. And the same with iron, you know, the phytate in, plant can, in plants can actually reduce the bioavailability of the zinc. So the same thing that you would do to increase the bioavailability of iron, like, you know, soaking and sprouting legumes, grains, seeds, and fermenting grain products, that can help to increase the bioavailability of zinc. And the other good thing is, again, like iron, actually, when, whenever the zinc levels are low, the body you know, absorbs actually more. So the, the body's ability to actually absorb zinc becomes better, more efficient if the levels are low. In the UK, the recommended amount is 7 milligram for women, 9.5 milligram for men. The other thing is protein can actually increase the zinc absorption. So good, uh, you know, plant sources of zinc are also protein sources like tempeh, whole grains, uh, legumes, tofu, nuts, sesame seeds, uh, and, you know, just two tablespoons of tahini provides 2.8 milligram zinc, and uh, 100 gram tofu, 2 milligram zinc, two tablespoons of pumpkin seeds, and two tablespoons of sesame seeds, 3.5 milligram zinc. So, you know, it is easy to add it to your salads, oatmeal, you know, and get the, the whatever you need. I should mention that, you know, some people, especially athletes, as I said, it's a, we don't really understand why the zinc levels are actually low in athletes. But we know that actually supplementing with zinc isn't really, it hasn't shown any benefits. So it is really about just carefully planning your diet and, uh, yeah, trying to kind of get enough by planning what you are eating. And it is possible. I'm going to show you some uh, snack ideas or meal ideas. And I really kept it simple because I want to show you how easy it is actually to get uh, what you need by eating foods that you eat every day, like kind of, you know, toast with beans. You know, that's very easy, two slices of toast, easy to make, and it would you know, provide enough calories, 600 calories, 20 gram protein, 155 milligram calcium, and five gram iron. So, you know, something you know, a lot of us eat, it can actually offer the nutrients you require. And oatmeal, that's actually one of my favorites, you know, having porridge in the morning, because by adding soya milk and walnuts, and you can also add flaxseed if you like, or hemp seed, or whatever you like really, peanut butter, dates, you can increase the calories up to 500 calories, even more if you add more peanut butter, for example, or if you have flaxseed, 19 gram protein, 350 milligram calcium, and again, a bit of iron, quite actually a good amount. More examples, rice with kidney beans and kale, tahini dressing, Again, you get up to 25 gram protein, 250 milligram calcium, and six milligram of iron. So that's quite good. Then uh, tofu scramble, 
you know, with whole grain toast. And you can add some broccoli to it. It offers uh, 15 grams of protein, 125 milligram calcium, and 3 milligram iron. And all of that, it's just like, you know, you can obviously have bigger portions. Um, uh, this way you would get more of all these nutrients I'm mentioning. Uh, so this is for the average person who would need probably about 20, milligram, uh, 20 gram of protein per meal. So that is for an average person, so yeah. More ideas, salad with white uh, beans, tomatoes, parsley, red bell pepper, and you know, you can read, it has um, seven, uh, 17 gram protein, calcium, 160 milligram and six milligram of iron. Or chia pudding, if you like it. I don't like chia seeds, so, but if you like it, you know, adding quinoa to chia pudding and chia seeds and hemp seeds and again, soya milk, actually one of the plant milks I usually recommend is soya. So yeah, if you like it. That offers 13 grams of protein. It's a nice snack, uh, 54 milligram calcium and five milligram of iron. More ideas uh, for, you know, before you exercise, before exercise, it's really important to have a source of carbohydrates. So that is what you need to have to make sure that, you know, you replenish your glycogen stores. You don't start your workout with depleted glycogen stores. So that's why you need a glycogen source. So that's why you need a source of glucose, carbohydrate. Dried fruits are really good. Quick, you know, the sugar gets absorbed, granola bars, smoothies, overnight oats, or baked sweet potato. Post-workout, you need to have carbohydrates and protein. But protein comes second. So again, because if you don't consume the carbohydrates, whatever protein you're consuming is going to be utilized, uh, you know, as fuel to replenish the glycogen store. So you don't, uh, you know, it's going to be utilized as um, fuel, you know, because as I said, energy, we are um, energy, you know, the energy requirements need to be met first. So you need more carbohydrates, less protein, but you need both of them post-workout. You can have avocado toast add hemp seed or whatever else you like, and that is a good um, proportion of the carbides protein. Or an easy one, banana with tea, uh, two tablespoons peanut butter, raisins, almond butter, bagel with hummus or bagel with soya cheese. So these are all good options that you, know, you can have. All right, thank you very much. That's the end. Let me just end the show. And all right, thank you. Well, thank you, Dr. Vika. And that was that was so informative, so much information there. Um, there we go. Get you back here. Um, yeah, thank you so much. And a couple questions I would love for you to share with people how how you can be of service to them professionally. What kinds of programs do you offer? You offer individual consultations. How how is it that you're you're serving people with? with your professionally? Yes, uh, I see individuals, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. I don't offer group coaching, although if, you know, a couple of people or a few people want to have it, yes, I'm open to it. It would be nice. And yes, that is what I do. And yeah, otherwise I actually like to, as I said, education is more uh, something I'm gonna be focusing more now. But as I said, yes, for now I'm seeing clients. You see clients one-on-one, -on -one. beautiful. And how would people get a hold of you if somebody would like to reach out to you? Yes, if they go to my website, uh, there is a, like a contact page. They can send me a message, tell me what their problem is, and then we can take it further from there. Beautiful. And share with us again, please, your website, your, your web yeah. address. 
Yeah, it is easy. It is P-R, so Dr. L-E-I-L-A, my name. D for my surname, so Dr. P-R, Leila, D.com. Thank you. Thank you very much. So primarily you work with athletes who are struggling or uh, people who want to start exercising or what, what are most of your patients and clients like? It is people who exercise. I mean, I do see sometimes people who have migraines, obviously because of my background and how I help myself. I can give them really good individualized you know, advice on what changes to make. But if not migraine, yes, I do see people who are into exercising and they just want to make sure that as a vegan, that they are actually getting all the nutrients they require. And it can vary. It can be people who just exercise 20 minutes a day or like an, I had actually two amateur athletes who were actually competing. Uh, one of them was among the first 20 like kind of in Europe. So, so yeah, so yeah, it just varies. But I haven't worked with professional athletes, but amateur athletes who compete, yes. Although having said that, there is a kind of sometimes a confusion. What do you call an amateur athlete? What do you call a professional athlete? For me, professional athlete is somebody who actually um, earns his living. They earn their living from being an athlete. Amateur athlete is they love it. They do a lot of it, but they still have a day job. <laughs> so that's my definition. Yes. Well, wonderful. So um, we have we have two questions here that are, are very similar. Uh, one of them of, of somebody on Facebook is asking, do you recommend getting your omega levels checked? And then related to that, Claudia is asking, how do I know if I have enough B12? So combining those two questions, is there a, a panel of, of uh, nutrient measurements that you recommend, a blood test? What, how would that work? And uh, and to sure. that would level that would measure the omega levels as well as the b12 levels yes that is a great question and i should have actually included that i always tell people as a vegan if you're following a vegan diet uh, again i'm talking about people who are in the uk and i like to keep it free because in the uk healthcare is free and if you go to your general practitioner to your physician and you know and tell them i'm vegan i follow a vegan diet they actually do the, the blood for free, and I think why not, you know, and that is all you need anyway. You need your B12 level, you need it checked every year to make sure that it is, you know, within normal range. So you need to have that. You need your thyroid function because as I mentioned, iodine actually is important for our thyroid function. So by having, you know, a look at your thyroid function, you can check if you're getting enough iodine. So um, thyroid function and hemoglobin. Just to see if you are, again, that goes to iron. If your levels are low, then you might know that you may be anemic or you have low levels. So that would be the start, you know, the good test. You may need to have more tests down the line, but then only if your hemoglobin is on the lower side. And vitamin D, and vitamin D, again, as I said, it's not just a vegan problem. A lot of people have low levels. So that is something that, again, even if you don't check it every year, you know, if you like, I know my diet is quite good. I kind of plan quite well. So I don't check my blood every year, but every two years I'll have a test to make sure that all levels are okay. So again, I repeat hemoglobin, vitamin B12, vitamin D, uh, thyroid function. These are the main ones. Yes. Yeah. I wouldn't check actually omega 3. I know some people do it. But as I said, I like to keep it practical so that you can actually do it. Because sometimes with omega-3, what they do is they actually check the ratio of omega-3 to omega-6. 
And I think if you just look at your diet, do you have a lot of processed foods? You know, do you actually consume a lot of oils? Because oils can be quite high in omega-6. That would tell you if you are actually, you know, your because if your omega-6 ratio is high, your absorption of omega-3 is going to be low. So I think I would rather approach it this way than, you know, going and having a blood test. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, for me personally, I, I sometimes I go through phases where I exercise a lot more and try and train. And, and then sometimes I, I just don't do it enough. And it feels like when I, when I really start working out and really get more intense about it, I, I feel like I just can't stop eating. Uh, yes, as I said, that is actually, you know, and I'm really glad that you touched on it again, because I know I said it a few times throughout the talk earlier, but getting enough calories is so important, you know, when you work out, because your body needs more calories. And a lot of people actually, they, they exercise because they want to lose weight. So they are still eating less, or they even reduce their calorie intake. And then you get all those people who say, oh, I exercise, but I'm tired. I cannot do like an hour. And, you know, I get dizzy. I get headaches. So having enough calories is so important. And, uh, yes, and plant foods are low in calorie density. So, yes, that is very common that when you start exercising, you need more food. So, yes, I'm glad that you mentioned that again. Well, yes, so thank you. So so what I need to do then is is eat, eat more uh healthy carbs yes yeah. yes and uh, what could help sometimes just having a banana before you actually hit the gym can help you know keep the glucose levels up so that you can still go to your exercise routine and then having again like a banana and peanut butter or bread with peanut butter after exercise to replenish your glycogen stores and a bit of protein that would be enough sometimes you know so yeah okay and um do you reckon some some people have told me I should I should go and drink uh, coconut water for I electrolytes? You, well, if you exercise a lot and you sweat a lot, then you need to replenish those electrolytes. But in general, the recommendation is if you're just exercising for an hour, water is enough. You don't need to kind of have anything uh, you know differently. And also bear in mind, all those electrolytes you can find it in food as well. Okay. So I wouldn't really go and worry about it if it is just an hour exercise. No. Well, that's that's excellent advice. I'll go ahead and be a lot more mindful about eating some healthy carbs, maybe potatoes and beans, and yes, yes and and a banana. Be eat an extra banana, or eat a make sure I eat at least one banana around the time I exercise. So oh, a um, handful of raisins, you know, raisins, raisins. Dates, nuts are all good options, you know? Yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you so very much for that. Thank and Claudia you. sums it up for all of us. Thank you so much for a very interesting live stream. And it has been so interesting, so informative. And we look forward to to having hearing more from you. And uh, uh, for everybody, we're, we're in the process of a soft launch, so it's not completely public yet with our community. And we really look forward to having uh, having pods about nutrition and, and uh, exercise. And Dr. Degan will hopefully have you as, as uh, 
present in our our passion pot about exercise and and nutrition and uh, thank you again so very much and thank you everybody for joining us and being here and uh, i look forward to next time so thank with that thank you thank you all right thank you everybody bye bye